In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. This parable is told by the Lord as part of an answer to Peter's question. How many times should we forgive? The bold Apostle Peter asks, is it seven times? In other words, he is saying, because he knows what the interpreters of the law are saying, that you should forgive about three times. He is saying, is it over double how often those interpreters of the law say we should forgive offenses? Peter believes himself to be a little bit generous in the prompting of the question. Peter may be catching on on the radicalness of the Lord come in the flesh, but he has not yet seen how Christ is remaking the entire world and its relation to him, its its creator. Christ is the creator of the world. The Lord's response is deeply connected with the prayer that he has taught them at the end of the sermon, or during the Sermon on the Mount. It is right to see this whole parable as expounding on the phrase in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who debt who have a debt against us or trespass against us. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, the word is ophelimata, or a debt. But in the rest of the chapter, he uses a different word, parapotomata, which is a trespass. The first implies a neglect to treat another as they should be treated, as they have a right to be treated, you could say. And the second is an encroachment on the rights that they do have and that you've committed an offense against them. You could say that one is a sin of omission and another is a sin by commission, something that you have have done. In this parable of the unmerciful servant, though, several chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, the word that the Lord uses is different. It is danemon, which means a simple owing of finances, a simple financial debt, whether it's of taxes or something else, or you borrowed money for which you intend to give back. What our Lord does in this parable is to combine those first two things, those first two that we read in Matthew 6 during the Sermon on the Mount. And it is through this story of a debtor who has no mercy and a king who has forgiven all the debts of that very same servant that we have a lesson of both debts and of trespasses. Our Lord has given us a parable that tells us of what his Father in heaven is like. God the Father is the king of the parable that has begun to balance his accounts by calling in all the debtors, which is each of us. Through this parable you are taught how God desires you to be radically forgiving and lay aside all that is owed to you personally. It is also a warning about the consequences which we put on ourselves if we do not forgive others. It is a parable of the kingdom and gives us a way that we are supposed to view the world as we live in it here and now, a way to live our lives. So the servant is called before the king to account for his debt. We are told that this mere servant shockingly owes 10,000 talents. This man's debt was huge. The gospel puts it in sort of a simple phrase. 
it was a great amount. Uh, but how great was this amount? A single talent was the sum of 6,000 denarii, which was a single day's wage for a hired agricultural worker. That means that the 10,000 talents which this man owed the king equaled six million days of labor in the field. Or to think of it in terms of years of work, he owed 170,450 years of agricultural labor with not a single day off. Talk about an insurmountable debt. The amount of laboring requiring a dedicated work of way over the 70 years that Ecclesiastes tells us is the limit of the remnant of youthful strength and the 80 years that the psalmist says even a strong man may have. Or perhaps even more mind-boggling to wrap our mind around the sheer amount of debt is to think of it in this way. The servant owed an amount to the king equal to the taxes of eight that was more than more and surpassing a year's taxes for the regions in Palestine of Judea, Idumea, Samaria, and our Lord's hometown, Galilee, combined. They would have only paid 800 talents in a single year. All of those regions. So it is like this servant owed at least 10 years' worth of county taxes to the imperial government. All this accounting simply to say that this servant owed his king an impossible amount to pay. It was unfathomably large for a single man to overcome. And he had no way of reconciling with the king by his own power. The gospel parable and the epistle reading give us the tools to see how we as Christians are to think of and to live in a world that revolves around rights, debts, and offenses. A world that holds these as the center of our relations for one another, and then Christ overturns it in this gospel. By Roman law, both the king and the unmerciful debtor had the right to torture and enslave someone who owed them a debt. Under the law, the debtor had the right to actually go and strangle that other servant. There would have been no legal consequences to how he acted. By American law, we too may not torture or give our credence to go and do that, but because we have softened those effects, but are we not always speaking as Americans demanding our rights? Are we not always trying to rectify some sort of debt? Are we not always looking to satisfy some sort of offense against ourselves? Are these not still adamating the whole public and social life of our nation? And to be honest, probably a lot of our interior life as well. It is the king's response, though, to that debtor and how he, how he's responding to the debtor who went and strangled the other servant that we need to pay attention to. That is how we learn the new foundation being laid for human relations in the gospel Christ. The demanding of payment cost the unmerciful debtor his freedom, and all that was dear to him was taken away because the king demanded something different. Not payment, but he demanded that the debtor go and act as the king had acted toward him. 
not like the law allowed to happen. Our Lord is teaching that the ultimate king of all is not interested in demanding the impossible exchange. The calculation is that things will never be made equal. Christ is teaching us that his father, the king of all, is just because he sought reconciliation and granted forgiveness so that the relationship could be healed and the opportunity for an inward change could take place for that debtor. This is what Christ is calling his disciples to. This is what he is calling us to go do. We can see St. Paul living it out in what we have heard in the epistle, that tension between rights and living as the gospel demands in the epistle. He He names all of his rights, but that's not actually the point of what he is writing. The apostle and who is the father and the apostle to the Corinthian church. So he had certain rights as a father in Christ over them, but it is the first and last verses that reveal Paul's intention and his love for the Corinthian church, and by extension, a demonstration of how Christ loves his church here and now, and a warning to us. St. Paul says, Brethren, you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. And then he lists all of those rhetorical questions that we heard Dana read today. He gives all of those reasons that either as an apostle or as their father in Christ, they should accommodate or give to him. But then he ends that enumeration this way. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He is demonstrating and teaching us that regardless of the rights we may actually hold, it is long-suffering for the sake of the gospel and the desire to have no obstacle in the way of reconciliation with God and man that we must embrace. All the rights and the debts must be laid aside. Rights exist, but what supersedes our personal rights is the work that we have to live as Christ in the world and to follow his teaching. It is first and chiefly to forgive all in the extreme way that God has forgiven us. Then we can become like God if we forgive all. So pay close attention to how the king responds to that first pleading of the servant. The king knows that repayment is impossible. It will not better himself, nor will it better the debtor to hold that over him. How can this debtor somehow earn enough capital to return 60 million days worth of wages? He can't. So the king is merciful and above and beyond what the debtor asks for in his entreaty when he falls down before the king and says, just give me time, have patience. The king, rather than following his word, gives up all claim to the debt. The king does not desire slaves, and he does not need any repayment. God desires us to be free. When a sinner entreats and seeks a way to rectify debts and trespasses he has against God, it becomes clear that this is impossible. We must rather seek forgiveness. The church is where and how the great debt of, uh, we have is made manifest to us. 
The church is the place where we come to both see the impossibility of our personal ability to balance the accounts. All the words we hear in the services show us how far we are from God and how it is our God that frees us and comes to us and makes us his holy people. This is the place where we realize I am not up there in the spiritual heights. What we hear in the hymns and prayers remind us I am spiritually bankrupt and need my debts of sin forgiven. And the man that truly hears the gospel today will quickly say and add to that, what right do I have to hold on to offenses, the sins, the things people did not do for me but maybe should have, all the debts I have tallied. Let me leave them aside and wipe them out from my heart. Should we not release others as our Lord and King releases us from the impossible and much greater debt that we have. This is the difficult thing to, f to live out fully. The inertia of our own sin, of our own desire to hold on to those things, it is difficult to turn from them and to change and to go toward holiness and the abundant forgiveness that we have when we are used to doing the opposite of recounting all the debts and trespasses, perhaps as a mantra to ourselves in our mind, trapping us and enslaving us. This was the way the unmerciful and eventually the condemned servant acted because he departed his king's presence unchanged. As Blessed Theophylact teaches, he that had been forgiven went out. He departed. And as a consequence, he took his fellow servant by the throat. The one who lacks compassion is not he who remains in God but he who departs from God, but rather he becomes a stranger to him. We must learn that what truly matters is that we change. The parable says that the unmerciful tr treatment of a fellow servant, and yet is noticed that other servants went and made a report of those deeds to the king. These servants are the heavenly host, looking to see if we are becoming like God. They look to report how we have used and acted the forgiveness that God gives us. God has given us the gift, and what are we to do with it? When the heavenly hosts report back, we know that they are haters of evil and lovers of good. They do not tell these things to the Lord as if he were unaware of them, but in order for us, O listener, to learn that the angels watch over us and are angered by man's inhumanity against man. And as we read in the book of Revelation, the saints also cry out for a righteous judgment and desire the reconciliation of God to be administered quickly when they say, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before thou wilt judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? My brothers and sisters, our time is short. We do not have to pay back a debt of sin to the Lord. We Orthodox are not Pelagians. The whole point of the parable is that we cannot pay back, nor should we demand others to do so either. We have this time and this life to become like the king in the parable. We have this time to become like our Heavenly Father in his forgiveness. As Theophylact further points out in Christ's last words, in what we have heard today in the gospel. He did not say, meaning Christ, he did not say your father, but my father. 
For as those who do not forgive are unworthy to have God as their Father, he wants us to forgive from our hearts and not only from our lips. Understand then that what a great evil is the remembrance of wrong, since it revokes the gift of God. Though God does not repent of his gifts, nevertheless, they are revoked by ourselves. We are all in need of the forgiveness of God. And those who, we, who, those who we have debts and trespasses with or against, we need that forgiveness too. We need a clean slate and a new beginning to be like the Apostle Paul saying, let's remove every obstacle. Yes, this or that happened or didn't happen, but forgive me. I am a sinner and we must respond as our king responded. I forgive. The parable makes clear that the heavenly king expects us to act as he acts. It is only in forgiveness that healing and reconciliation may happen. A demand and restitution of restitution will only further our separation from God and from our fellow man. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, forgive the little offenses. Be patient. Have compassion for your neighbors, especially when they offend you. Let go of the offenses of the past that you may walk forward with God. St. Gregory Palamas even says we can go further than this and actually count those who offended us as offering us an opportunity to be truly Christians. They, he says, are a source of many benefits. If we are willing, we may regard the offender as a richly laden merchant ship, easily capable of paying off our debt of 10,000 talents and of guaranteeing our future riches. If you forgive the offender by wiping away the remembrance of a personal wrong, you secure the forgiveness of God for yourself and receive the heavenly reward. The offense of our fellow man are tiny compared to the huge offense we commit when we live as if God did not exist. And that he is not telling us to become, and that he is telling us to become like him. When we live as though there is no day when we will have to give an account, rather each day acting on our own accounts of our own debts, paying no attention to the one thing needful, we are like the unmerciful servant. We will be enslaved to our sins. However, the reward of our eternal forgiveness and the prompting, promised everlasting life with God, which he promises when we repent and hold fast to in his way of forgiveness, is inexpressibly greater and is given to us. He forgives each time we turn to him. So go and do to others as you would have them do to you and forgive. Let go of your accounts and forgive to find reconciliation with God and all mankind. O oh Lord, we thank you for your abundant mercy. Grant us to follow your way that we forgive all offenses just as you forgive all the offenses of repentant sinners. Keep us that we may forgive our offenders from our hearts, that we may hear your voice not with anger, but with the joy of your countenance. Amen.